Greetings, my peeps, and welcome to the All Things Basketball Podcast with your boy GD. In this episode, I'll be doing my end-of-season recap, talking about all the teams that got eliminated, also talking about my disappointments as well. Also, we talk about the Knicks and the Lakers being back in the playoffs. Also talk about the top teams in each division. We'll also talk about the hot MVP race. Talk about some coaches firing. Rudy Gobert's suspension. My play-in predictions also, guys. As well as the Hall of Fame class of 2023. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Okay, guys, so we have wrapped up the regular season. Well, you got teams getting ready for the play-in. You got teams laying back waiting because they're playoff bound. So congrats to those teams. Well, we'll talk about a good bit of it. But I want to start off with the teams that were eliminated and also the disappointments as well and then we'll get through the rest of the little tidbits and news and so forth so once again this is your boy gd of the all things basketball with gd podcast we're gonna get into it guys so let's start with the teams that were eliminated from post play in the west you had the houston rockets they were eliminated as well as the san antonio spurs the Portland Trailblazers, the Utah Jazz, and the Dallas Mavericks. So for the first time in over 40 years, there will be no Texas team in the playoffs at all, not even in the play-in. And again, that's the first time that's happened since the inaugural season of the Dallas Mavericks, which was back in 1981-82. And then in the East, your teams that didn't make it, the Detroit Pistons, the Charlotte Hornets, the Orlando Magic, the Indiana Pacers, and the Washington Wizards. So no real surprises in the East, that's for sure, but quite a bit in the West. So we'll talk about it. My top three disappointments. Number one has to be the Dallas Mavericks. The Dallas Mavericks, who last year made it to the Western Conference Finals, where they lost. And then this season, they were all the way up to the number four spot at the trade deadline. And they pretty much surprises everyone by making the trade for Kyrie Irving. A trade that cost them Spencer Dinwiddie, as well as Dorian Finney-Smith draft choice as well so Dallas pretty much rolling the dice going for it and it didn't actually pan out for them guys at the moment of that trade again they were in fourth place they tumble out of fourth place all the way down to 11th place in the west after the Kyrie trade they go 11 and 18 and within that, Kyrie was in and out of the lineup, different injuries, so forth. So was Luka. So you add that on to everything else. So they didn't even play in a great amount of games together, both 
Luca and Kyrie. They couldn't even work up a chemistry in that regard. So, here's what happens uh, about a week to go in the season. There was a press conference where Luca pretty much says we miss Jalen Brunson, who was with them last year when they made their run to the Western Conference Finals. Of course, we know he went to the New York Knicks and really helped propel that team. So, Luca in the press conference mentions that. So, Mark Cuban, being the narcissist that he is, he went on someone's podcast. I can't call it off the top of my head. But he goes on there, and then he talks about them missing out on Jalen Brunson. Mind you, the league ruled on the situation because he, of course, charged the Knicks with tampering, and the league punished the Knicks. I'm using air quotes here. They punished the Knicks by taking away their second round draft picks. So with that said, they were punished, basically. So Mark Cuban goes on this podcast and he I guess he heard about Luca talking about them missing Brunson. So he goes on there and he blames both Rick and Sandra Brunson. That's Jalen's parents for him not re-signing with the Mavericks. <laughs> So, Mark Cuban, you're going to go and say that a 24-year-old should not consult his parents about such a big move like this? Mind you, one of the parents actually played in the NBA, so you might think he want to lean on that kind of advice since it's so close to him. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's not holding water there. And since when does a player not consult their parents about free agency and things of that nature? So it's just Mark Cuban, you know, with sour grapes once again over what has happened. The Knicks pretty much outsmarted him in getting Jalen Brunson to that team. So with that said, the last week of the season, he decides, you know what, instead of making this push towards the play in, we're going to cease and desist, and we're going to hold on to that number 10 lottery pick because it's a lottery, and their chances are pretty slim of them moving up to the top. I mean, it would be miraculous if they made it into the top three. So, with that said, he thought the value of that was greater than the team going into a play-in situation. Of which, I mean, they could have been among the 7-8 seed, you know, if they really tried. But they did not. And then, you're going with this draft choice as opposed to who knows what can happen in a play-in. You got a superstar in Luka. You got a superstar in Kyrie. You got decent players there. You got a Christian Wood there still. You got a Tim Hardaway Jr. I mean, you got some players there. Who knows what kind of run you go on. But you turn that down. And oh, by the way, the playoff money you could have made if you made it into the actual playoffs. That's two games of revenue you could have had. You turn all that down for a draft choice. Mind you, first of all, you got to re-sign Kyrie. And you got to hope that Luca basically <laughs> in the best of moods because right now he's not in the best of mood. Oh, let me quote what Jason Kidd said about the whole situation. This is the coach. We were fighting for our lives and understanding this is the situation we're in. But the organization has made the decision to change. So, you know, we have to go by that. And that's something that happens. So the guys that are playing... 
you got to go out there and put your best foot forward. And the guys that's playing got to go out there and try to play to win. You got to be pros. You can't cheat the game. That's what Jason Kidd said. Cheating the game. Your owner's cheating the game by letting you go to war with a uh, butter knife. That Friday night game against the Bulls, here's how it laid out. No Kyrie Irving. No Tim Hardaway Jr. No Josh Green, the young promising player. No Christian Wood. No Maxi Kleber. So here's what you had to work with. Reggie Bullock. Frank Nielakina. Theo Pinson. Those are like three former Knicks right there. McKinley Wright, the fourth. And Justin Holiday. That's who you were banking on to win a game against a Chicago team that also needs wins because they were trying to get into play in themselves. Yeah, so right now you have an unhappy Luca. Whether he make overtures about being moved in the summer, we'll see. Hey, who, who can blame him when your owner just lays down like that? Can't say you blame him. But the league is investigating the Mavericks, the foolishness they did. Oh, by the way, in that Chicago game, Luka did play, but he played for a quarter and sat the rest of the game. So right now, the league office is going to examine that game, and they're going to basically come down with a ruling in that regard. And the thing is, all eyes are on Adam Silver. Adam Silver is aware there's teams that are tanking. He knows that, but it's a way that you tank that's not so egregious as what Dallas did. Dallas basically daring Adam Silver to do something. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Will they take away that pick? I'd be stunned if it happened. But what he can do is penalize them with a future first round pick. I think that's probably the better route to go. I think he takes a knee and says, okay, you got this one, but you have forfeited your 2024 draft pick. That's what I would do. So we'll see what happens in that regard. So that's the Dallas situation. Next disappointment, the Portland Trailblazers. Portland Trailblazers who had early success but couldn't sustain it. The big question, of course, is what happens with Dame Lillard. We all know about Dame's loyalty to the Portland Trailblazers. I've talked about it actually the past two episodes when I was talking about the NBA. So I'm back to talking about Dame again. Dame, who right now is 32, he'll turn 33 in the summer. He has four years left and he's to be paid $216 million. And the latest quote from him talked about it he went on the old man and the three podcasts talking about his loyalty to portland and how he doesn't want to leave and all that sort of stuff but he's pretty much put the ball in the court of the front office so this latest quote even adds more fuel to the fire i don't have much of an appetite for building with guys two and three years away and not really go after it In another quote, he pretty much wants vets on the team. So this offseason for the Portland front office is huge. They got major decisions to make there. Of course, there's the Dame decision, whether to keep him and acquiesce to his demands of bringing veterans in there. Also, Jeremy Grant, he's a free agent to be. So do you let this free agent walk out the door? 
Also, there's the situation with Joseph Nurkic. It seems like every year he has a major injury that he has to overcome. He's 28 years old, so he's not long in the tooth per se. He has three years left being paid $54 million. So he has manageable contracts. So Portland, they basically have two options here. Do they rip it down to the studs and rebuild? I know a lot of people are saying, oh, send Dame to New York. This is as the Nick fan. Now I'm putting my Nick fan hat on. Here's the problem with that. He's 32 years old. He still has basketball in him. But he is being paid an awful lot of money, guys. This contract here. So he's going to average basically $54 million for the next four seasons. Will he make it to the end of that contract? That's a legitimate question to ask. Maybe he does. Will he lose a little bit of his game along the way? Maybe he does. But that is a steep price to pay. And you know it's going to cost the Knicks a lot of their young talent. You know, all the pundits want to throw this at the Knicks. In their heart of hearts, they want the Knicks to fail anyway. They don't like this youth movement stuff that's going on. Even guys like Stephen A. Smith, who just recently said he doesn't care about the future. He wants a team to win right now. So he's putting that poison in the atmosphere. You know, I've been an advocate of them building through the draft with young players, and they're doing that. I will see what happens in these playoffs here. It'd be great if they could get the win over Cleveland and get to the second round. It'd be great for the franchise as a whole for these young players here. It's going to be a steep task. Cleveland is their formidable opponent. So we'll see. I'll talk about that a little later. I'm, I'm digressing here. But, you know, there's a few places Dame could go. Miami's another place that could make sense. I think a lot rides on how teams finish in terms of the playoffs. But I think that's a story that's still to be written, so we'll see what happens. So I won't speculate any further than that. And then you have my last disappointment, the Utah Jazz. You you might say, why them? Because at the trade deadline, they were a little bit around 500 or so, but they were actually doing good the first half of the season. But what happened was they, too, made a trade at the trade deadline. They traded for Russell Westbrook just to get that money on their books. You know, eventually they bought him out. So, But in doing that, they gave away such talent as Mike Conley, Malik Beasley, Jarrett Vanderbilt. So you gave away some valuable pieces in doing that. So you pretty much kind of stripped the depth of your team. Then you had Laurie Markadin, especially down the stretch, in and out of the lineup, various injuries and such. But in the end, you had promising seasons from Markadin, who ended up being an all-star. Uh, Walker Kessler is a guy that looks like he's going to be a solid center in this league. Jordan Clarkson had an amazing year. Then you had the comeback story of Colin Sexton, so you'll have him for a full season next year. I thought they had enough to at least get in the play-in for them to... Well, you know, this is a Danny Ainge move. He wants to be part of the lottery. He wants to take his chances there, see if somehow they can creep up to the top and get a shot at Victor Wimbayani, who everybody's trying to get a hold of. So, 
But nonetheless, I thought they were a disappointment. Again, the East teams, I figured it'd shake out that way. Alright, so that's the first story. Let us talk about the next story, which is big for the league, actually. The New York Knicks and the L.A. Lakers back in the playoffs. You know, guys, say what you will, but when the Knicks are good, that's good business for the NBA. When the Lakers are good, that's good business for the NBA. That's just the way it is, guys. And for certain media heads to constantly attack the Knicks, their fan base as well, it's not smart for business. It's not smart. When the Knicks are good, the league is good. Same with the Lakers. So let me not go there because I'll I'll be done call some people out. (laughs) But the Knicks, they're locked in the first round. They're in the fifth position. Kudos to Tom Thibodeau. I'm going to give Tom Thibodeau a great deal of credit. Back in December, he made a major decision about this roster that he was going to not play guys like Evan Fournier, Derrick Rose. He decided to go with the younger players. And this flies in the face of what most people say, that Tom Thibodeau, he relies on his vets, this and that, so forth. And, you know... He loves Derrick Rose, but he had to make a decision that was best for the team. He decided to go with the young players, and it paid off. Right now, Jalen Brunson, who you brought in, oh, absolute godsend. What he's brought to this team is infectious, and they don't get in the fifth position without him. So definitely kudos to Jalen Brunson, what he brought to this team. Julius Randle, he's an all-NBA player again. Well, he did suffer the ankle injury late in the season, so we'll see how he responds, and hopefully he'll be ready for the first game this coming weekend. Manuel quickly, oh, what a year he's had. He's a six-man candidate, so we'll see what happens there. The Josh Hart trade, absolutely huge acquisition there that they made before the trade deadline. He has fit in with what Tom Thibodeau loves, and that's... That second unit to be a catalyst there, and he's provided that. The big question, though, will the real R.J. Barrett show up in these playoffs? They need him, guys. And he, you know, it's been the inefficiency. I said it prior to the season that his efficiency has to improve in order for him to go to that next level. And I thought it would, but yet he's still struggling a bit. So we'll see what he brings to these playoffs. They're going to need him. They're going to need him, guys. So we'll see what happens. So they're locked in a battle with Cleveland Cavaliers, of course. Donovan Mitchell and uh, ESPN's already saying, oh, it's... The Knicks going against the player they let get away. So they got that false narrative out there. Again, for those not in the know, it was Danny Ainge trying to basically, I don't want to say that, but what I will say, he was overcharging the Knicks as opposed to Cleveland, where he did get a guy like Laurie Marketing. So I say you probably, well, I'll say it. You probably could have got the same kind of production out of a OB Toppin if the Knicks made that deal. It just would have cost you a lot more draft picks. Yeah, so he was overcharging. So this is a false narrative they're all putting out there, including Steve A. Smith. So I digress on that. So it's going to be a tough one. Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland. Then you got 
the two-headed monster inside of Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. So, yeah, it's not going to be an easy series, guys. Not going to be easy, but I'll give you my predictions in another episode. So, with that said, let's talk about the Lakers. Lakers got in. They got into the playoffs. They made it to the seventh spot. They could have got into the top six. They needed some help along the way and didn't really get that. So they're in the play-in, guys. Seventh spot. So they pretty much have one game to play. And the way it shakes out, I'll talk about that later. It's looking good for their prospects in that first game. So they do it despite LeBron James missing the four weeks, about 13 games with that foot injury. Anthony Davis, he's showing up and showing out, guys. So he was a big help to them down the stretch. Guys like D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt, all guys that they picked up at the trade deadline have been important pieces towards that push to the playoffs. Dennis Schroeder, he's returned to prominence. And also you got guys like Austin Reeves. He's improved his game as well. And pretty much forgot about the other pickup they had like a week prior to the trade deadline, Rui Hachimura. But you got to give all credit to Darvin Ham, the coach, for keeping this team afloat while LeBron was out. He, he deserves credit for that. So the Lakers, you know, they have a first playing game. I'll talk about that in a little bit as well. So we'll see what happens with them. So let's move on. You have Milwaukee on top in the east, and you have Denver on top in the west. That Milwaukee team, Giannis, once again, he's poised for another finals run. His team is pretty much loaded. Chris Middleton looks like he's back to his old self, rounding into shape there. Drew Holiday, who had an all-star campaign, he's the stabilizer there. Brooke Lopez had a nice emerging season, surprising season as the man in the middle. And they have such solid depth with guys like Bobby Portis, Pat Connigan, also Jay Crowder, who they picked up on a buyout, Javon Carter, uh, Joe Ingles. And they also newly picked up uh, guys like Goran Dragic and Miles Leonard. So they have the depth. They have everything they need to make that push. So we'll see how they get through that gauntlet in the East. And then Nikolai Jokic. Right now, he's a man with a lot to prove, guys. He's a two-time MVP, but he hasn't advanced in the playoffs the way you would think an MVP would. But right now, he needs a healthy Jamal Murray and Michael Porter to have any inkling of a chance. He is on with guys like Aaron Gordon, also Catavius Caldwell-Pope, who's been solid at shooting guard position. Bruce Brown, a pickup they had in the offseason. He's been like this Swiss Army knife. Veterans like Jeff Green. Another guy you picked up on a buyout, Reggie Jackson. Also, DeAndre Jordan. You got him as well. So, I mean, you have the pieces here for the Joker to do some damage in the playoffs. And they have the home court advantage. First time in franchise history, the Denver Nuggets has the best overall record in the West. Hey, when you got that, you got to deliver, man. You got to deliver. So we'll see what happens there. So that leads me to the next discussion. The MVP race, which is the hottest MVP race we've had 
well, since last year, in fact, between the same two guys, Nikolai Jokic and Joel Embiid. Let's talk about the Sixer, Joel Embiid. He played in 66 games, so that's pretty much enough games. He scored over 33 points per game, which led the league. Also, by the way, James Harden, he ended up leading the league in assists. So they are the first teammates to do that since George Gervin led in scoring and Johnny Moore in assists for the San Antonio Spurs. And that was nearly 40 years ago. Also, rebounding 10.2, which puts him 10th in the league. 4.2 assists, 1.7 blocks. That puts him 8th in the league and a steal per game. Shooting from the field, 54.8% from the field. That puts him 20th. 33% from three-point range, and then 85.7% from the free throw line. And the Joker, he appeared in 69 games, so three, three more games than Embiid. Including the game where Embiid was supposed to play in Denver, but he was sat for that game, supposedly to keep the Joker from getting the upper hand on him in the MVP voting. So, conspiracy theorists uh, had that to say in that regard, but nonetheless. So, he appeared in the 69 games, 24.5 points per game, that's 25th in the league. His 11.8 rebounds is third in the league. And 9.8 assists, which is fourth in the league. And that's coming from the center, by the way. So he misses, averaging a triple-double by .2. So pretty phenomenal year. And then 1.3 steals per game. He shot it from the field, a whopping 63.2%. And that put him amongst the top play. It put him actually eighth in the league in that regard. 38.3% from free throw line, and then 82.2% from the free throw line. So it's going to be an interesting race. They're also talking about Giannis as well, but I think it's just a two-horse race here. I doubt if you have a co-MVP where they split the votes. I'd be stunned if that happened. Only time I saw where there was a co-winner of award in the past 30 to 25 years when we saw it for the rookie of the year where it was both Grant Hill and Jason Kidd. So that would be interesting if that were to happen because a lot of people are split down the middle on these guys. So could it happen? Maybe. Who knows? So we'll see how that goes. So the hot MVP race there, that's the issue. Then you have coaches being fired. Steven Silas, he's out as the Houston Rockets coach. He finished with a 22-60 and 60 record. I actually thought that, you know, he dealt with the death of his father, Paul Silas, during this season. I actually thought that he probably should have took some time away from the team to kind of re-energize yourself in that regard loss of your father you know that's pretty close to home so I think he should have took a little bit of time away and then came back but that wasn't the case he decided to coach through it unfortunately there was a report out that he broke down in the locker room after a game one time so which I think is unnecessary to report on stuff like that the man is in grief over the loss of his father and the thing about grief Grief doesn't pick a time for you to grieve. 
It just happens. And it can happen at any instance. Take it from someone who knows. Yeah, so for someone to report that and put that out there, I thought was pretty inconsiderate, to be honest. Again, I thought he should have took some time off. He didn't, but he's now the former head coach of the Houston Rockets. He'll be back. He's a young coach. He'll he'll be back. He'll come back in some capacity, probably as an assistant, obviously. So, And then you have Dwayne Casey, who is out for the Detroit Pistons. She kind of figured uh, he ended up with the worst record in the league, 17 and 65. He did have, you know, some bad breaks this season. Your top player from last year was out. So a lot of young players there. It's going to take some time for Detroit to build up again. But he's out nonetheless. So we'll see what happens. We'll see who fills both of those positions. You know, you'll have your usual suspects. Guys like Kenny Atkinson. You'll hear his name bandied about. So that's your coaches that are out of jobs as of now. That could change after playoffs. Then you have this next story, Rudy Gobert of the Minnesota Timberwolves being suspended one game for fighting with his teammate Kyle Anderson. And from the exchange that I heard, I actually side with Rudy Gobert. You don't call a man out of his name right there in front of his teammates. You know it's televised, so you you just don't go there. So, you know, he took it upon himself, let us Kyle know with a... I don't know if it was a punch, more like a shove, I thought. Nonetheless, he's suspended the one game, so he will miss that play-in game against the Lakers. So, he has an opportunity, if they were to lose that game, to play in the next play-in game against the winner of the 9-10 game. And now everybody want to all of a sudden hark back to the trade that was made for him to go to Minnesota. So they're basically piling on. If they do lose that game against the Lakers, we'll see the reception for him in terms of that next game that has to be played in order to make the playoffs. So all eyes are on Minnesota in that regard. So that's that bit of news. Few more items here. Run it through right quick. My plan predictions. I'll give you my predictions real quick. In the East, it'll be the seven seed, the Miami Heat, hosting the number eight seed, the Atlanta Hawks. And then in the second game, you'll have the number nine seed, Toronto Raptors, hosting the Chicago Bulls. For the East, I have Miami winning that game against Atlanta. And then I have actually Chicago pulling the upset, beating the Toronto Raptors. I just get a feeling, I mean, Nick Nurse is starting to talk in like the past tense, like, you know, they don't have a shot. So Chicago has been kind of surging lately. So I'm going to say Chicago. And then Atlanta versus Chicago. I think think I'm going to lean with Chicago. So I'm picking Miami to get that seventh seed. And I'm going to pick Chicago. I'll pick Chicago to get the eighth seed. That'll be your representatives in the East, as far as my prediction go. In the West, I think number seven seed, the Lakers get the Minnesota Timberwolves, that eighth seed. I think that's a layup for the Lakers. I think they advance. They get that seventh spot where they're matched up against the Memphis Grizzlies. And then the 
9-10 game. Number 9 seed is the New Orleans Pelicans against the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think the Pelicans get that win there. And then in a game against Minnesota with possibly Gobert coming back for that one. I think Willie Green pulls a rabbit out his hat and he gets the win over Minnesota. And that game would probably be in Minnesota. So I think Willie Green's squad gets the win. So your seventh seed would be the Lakers. And then I predict the eighth seed will end up being the New Orleans Pelicans. So that's my prediction there. So, And then the last item, the Naismith Hall of Fame class for this year. It was announced during the Final Four, the Men's Final Four, on April 1st. So you got Dwayne Wade, you got Dirk Nowitzki, Paul Gasol, Tony Parker, Coach Greg Popovich, and Becky Hammond. All first ballot Hall of Famers making the class here. So definitely kudos to them. I thought Wade and Nowitzki was a no-brainer. I thought Gasol could make it in. I was iffy on Tony Parker. I wasn't 100%. I thought Greg Popovich would get in. Becky Hammond, I thought, had a strong case to get in as well. And all six of them make it, so kudos to them. Then you have coaches that got in. Other coaches, uh, Gene Bess, he's the all-time winningest coach. And he coaches in the junior college, Three Rivers Community College. So he makes it in. Jim Valvano. For some reason, I thought Jim Valvano was already in the Hall of Fame, but he makes it in. Of course, he got that upset win over the Houston Cougars. His NC State Wolfpack got that win in that game. Outside of that, he was pretty solid coach nonetheless, so he makes it in. Gene Keedy, a longtime Purdue coach, he makes it in. And then for the women's game, Gary Blair, the longtime Texas A&M coach. His team won a NCAA title back in 2011, so he makes it in as well. And David Hickson of Amherst College, a Division III school, he makes it in also. And then the 1976 USA women's basketball team that made the Olympics. It was the first time women's basketball was played in the Olympics in 1976, guys. In this first time, the U.S. represents in the Olympics, and they get the silver medal that year. They lost to the Soviet Union. So it was a team coached by Billy Moore. The players you had on that squad, Ann Myers, a sensational player, Lucy Harris, a player I actually did a player spotlight on last season. She was on that squad. Nancy Lieberman, a very young Nancy Lieberman. In fact, I believe she was in high school when she made this team. So Nancy Lieberman was on this squad. Uh, Patricia Harris, otherwise known as Trish Harris, she was on that club. Cindy Brogdon, a lady named Pat Head, who we all know as Pat Summit, the legendary coach at Tennessee for the Lady Vols. Also Julian Simpson, Susan Rochowitz, also Nancy Dinkle, Charlotte Lewis, Gail Marquise, and Mary Ann O'Connor. They were all on that 1976 team. So kudos to them. Congrats and all of that. 
All right, guys, so I'm going to cut it off there. A lot of news there. It's in this season. Playing, guys. I gave you my predictions. So I will give you my playoff predictions in the next episode once the play-in is over and done with. So I give you all my playoff predictions. And also the end-of-season award predictions as well. So I'll give you everything, guys. All right? Again, you can check out the website, allthingsbasketballwithgd.com. I'm on YouTube as well, allthingsbasketballgd. That's the handle there. On Apple, on Spotify, all the platforms. Leave a review on YouTube. Hit the like button and all that sort of stuff. All right, guys. So until then, we'll talk soon. All right, guys. Take care. So, my peeps. If you like what you're listening to, you can go to my website, www.allthingsbasketballwithgd.com. You can also email me at thatsportsdugd at gmail.com. To support this podcast, you can go to my PayPal, and that email is thatsportsdugd at gmail.com. Also on my anchor page, I have a support button there that you can also use to help the podcast. I'm on all the major platforms like Anchor, Spreaker, Google Podcasts, Amazon, SoundCloud, YouTube, CastBox, Radio Public, Podchaser, just to name a few. And also you can find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Clubhouse, and Fanbase. So, once again, I thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. And take care and be safe.